All right. So this is a little bit different, but we're doing some old episodes over the holidays. This is Sean Ned's do baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. Yeah. So we're we're doing this. We're just gonna riff on an old episode. We tasked each other with finding an old episode between episodes, you know, eleven to twenty. Yeah, I was gonna pick a different one. I'm not gonna say what it was, but I was gonna pick a different one until you kind of narrowed it down to those 10 episodes which i kind of like yeah well next year uh you know in between seasons we might do this with a 20 to 30 or whatever yeah exactly so i've decided uh and i should really open this up to make sure i'm getting it right i'm picking episode 13 yeah okay lucky 13 jimmy Pearsell. jimmy Pearsell. so yeah uh ed's what do you remember about this episode i remember Honestly, I don't remember a lot. I remember him being kind of a troll yep. to his team. Like, he, he hit his, was it his 100th home run? <laughs> and he ran backwards? He like did. Like, he ran correct, ran to first, second, but he ran backwards. backwards. No, 100%. Um, and and he, he also had, like, a tough upbringing. Yes, his father beat the beat the crap out of yeah. him. But he was also a little bit of a, a he, he got mad. Because, uh, do you remember the movie? No, I don't remember the Fear movie. Fear Strikes right? Yes, I remember the mo- like what the movie's called, but oh, okay. I don't remember Well, either way, I, what I, happens. We don't it. want to give this episode away. Uh, you'll hear it in full coming up. Uh, but Ed, there's a couple of notes I have here. Uh, number one, uh, my wife, Angela, is on this episode with us. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And this was at right at the beginning of the pandemic, like right at the beginning okay. of the pandemic. So we were... Uh, when uh, was this episode actually? I I believe it was uh, uh, April twenty twenty. Okay, so yeah, about a month in to yeah when April first. Everyone to stay home. Yeah, exactly. This is the first lockdown ever, uh, and Ed's. I'm pretty pissed because there's a moment in here where you miss a, a, a Simpsons quote that mm-hmm. I do. See, Pierce, that you do. Pearsall's house. Pearsall buys the house, and you say, right. You say there's something wrong you'll hear you you basically allude there's something wrong with the house and i go what's wrong with the house like <laughs> well let's stop ripping on the house yeah you don't catch on though i was That's trying right. to get you to do which uh, one is that from though the the, the what episode bo- is that? the one that oh one yeah the, the 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 burlesque house, burlesque house. Yes. <laughs> right yeah <laughs> it's a house of ill repute <laughs> why are you ripping on the house for <laughs> Yeah, it's what in the house that matters. Well, I leave the house alone. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, I'm I sorry also that miss. That still went over my head. I miss almost. a naked yeah. gun reference when Jimmy Pearsall pulls out a water gun on the field. <laughs> <laughs> and you say it was buried under third base. Yes. Well, over my head. Okay. Um, second <laughs> of all, uh, uh, I'm happy to announce me and Angela are, are, are going to have our first child. And we joke a lot about child abuse and babies constantly in this episode too okay and finally i thought you were gonna say that you and angela joke about child abuse a lot no like, that's terrible no no it okay. is a, a, you'll hear okay uh and also uh big ups to uh charles finley and bill veek being mentioned in this episode okay um and last but not least gil hodges Gil Hodges, <laughs> Which, who you just learned who that was, like yes, two episodes ago. Apparently, uh, <laughs> I found out back in May or April uh, 2020. So, uh, <laughs> no, I think this is a great episode. Uh, it takes a little bit to get off the ground, but uh, you know we find our groove, and it's a pretty fucking crazy story. Uh, so there you go, Edsy. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Enjoy, and uh, we'll 
see you in two weeks and then we'll see you again next year happy holidays All right, welcome to Sean Ed's Do Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed. And we're... Uh, and that's Angela. And Angela's here. Hello. Angela's here again. You might remember Angela from the Maybe, Maybe. Johnson. Yes, Maybe I Johnson am back. See, we, we suck at uh, at having guests because we're so used to being uh, alone. alone. Uh, so, yeah, Angela. Angela is my uh, beautiful girlfriend. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to include her. Where, where can they find you, Angela? You got a Twitter? Tell them your Twitter. <laughs> I do have a Twitter. On the internet, not, <laughs> in, not, in, not physically. Uh, yes, I do have a Twitter. It's at Flina Girl. Do not question the name. Uh, I only really tweet angrily at the TTC. and I retweet. Yeah, I usually just rage tweet, so not, I'm not a great follow. But <laughs> She does follow us. At, I do follow them. At Doing Baseball on Twitter and uh, Doing Underscore Baseball on Instagram. That's right. Uh, we have some exciting news. We do? We do. Right, we do. We have some art. <laughs> we have art. For the first time, we we uh, uh, have a, a, a kind of a logo, and uh, I, what would you call it? It's an, like... Uh, an illustration? Yeah, it's like a sweet, like, comic... It looks like comic books. I like it. I dig it. Yeah, it's amazing. We, it uh, makes me... You know what? You know why I like it? What? It makes me look taller than you. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Uh, <laughs> so uh, go to go to our Twitter or Instagram. Check it out. Uh, it was done by the amazing artist uh, Theo Caps. Uh, at Instagram Theo Caps uh, with a K A P S. Uh, Theo is a fantastic artist and illustrator, and uh, we asked him to do this, and he did a fantastic job. So we're really excited about that. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Theo. Thanks, Theo. So uh, yeah, we've got another story. On deck. On deck. Uh, so if you don't know, we tell stories from baseball history. Uh, we take turns. Edzie's turn this time, and I have no idea what he's going to tell. Neither does Angela. No, yeah, no I d- idea. I, I'll be honest. I did not know that I was going to tell this story until, like, yesterday. Really? <laughs> so you yes. just came to you. I another story? I was working on another one, and it just it got too big. It got, like, spiraled out of control. It was, like... You know, the way I was writing it was going to have to be, like, four fucking episodes or something like that. So, there was just too many branches, so I narrowed it down. It's another player biography. That's all I'm going to say. Well, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Are you ready? Uh, we, we should probably just stay. Hopefully, you're listening to this and, and staying safe. Staying at home. Right, all, yes. All that. Social distancing and shit. Uh do it. Wash your hands. Yeah. Don't touch They're your sitting on the far side of the other room here. We're just like, you know, <laughs> you know, we're keeping our distance here. I've washed my hands so many times that uh, I've washed all the oil out of my hands and they're clammy, not clammy, we just- scabby. They're scabby. We will get through this together. Yes. That is, that is the thing. <laughs> my, my dog is in the studio and he is attacking Angela. Yeah. Here we go. He's, no, not November 14th. 1929. All right. Waterbury, Connecticut, a factory town 30 miles southwest of Hartford. James Anthony Pearsall is born. Pearsall? Yes. He's known as Jimmy. All right. Jimmy's father, John, was a house painter and struggled to stay employed during the 1930s. 
His mother often resided an hour to the east at Norwich State Hospital as she struggled with mental illness for most of Jimmy's childhood. Quote, if my father was preparing supper when I got home, it wouldn't be necessary for us to exchange a word, Pearsall said. I knew that meant my mother had gone away again. As a young child, Jimmy's father dreamed of a professional baseball career for his son and wouldn't allow anything, not sports, jobs, or social events, to interfere with baseball practice. Mm -hmm. Pearsall wrote in his autobiography that he loved but also feared his father, who would hit him with a strap if he misbehaved or didn't do what he was told. Oh, well, <laughs> okay. it was a different time. It was, a di it was, it was the 30s. Pearsall played for Sacred Heart Elementary School in Leavenworth High and in high-level amateur leagues. He was playing in semi-pro games by the age of 13. Holy shit. Yeah, so he's Jeez. gifted right off the bat. Uh, even by his own accounts, Pearsall was very high-strung his entire life. Beset by headaches that began when he was a teenager, Jimmy could not sit in one place for very long, couldn't read a book, yet could not leave any task unfinished. His dad would beat him. Yes, his dad would beat him up. <laughs> he spoke and moved constantly. He yelled instructions in basketball and baseball and often argued with officials. What, like during the game? Yes. He'd just be like, he'd be shouting, the ball at first! Yes, he'd be shouting instructions, much to the chagrin of his teammates yeah, yeah. and peers. He wasn't allowed to play football as his father feared an injury that would derail his baseball career. But that didn't stop Jimmy from shouting orders to nearby players while at his position in charge of the yard markers. <laughs> when he wasn't fidgeting or talking, he was worrying about his father, his mother, his playing abilities, or his future. So he's generally just... He's a child of the depression. Yes, he's... he's yeah, I guess so, <laughs> Much yeah. like the children being born now will be spoken like... Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, okay. After graduating from high school, he joined the Meriden International Silver Company semi-pro squad playing five days a week and considering his options. Pearsall had many college offers, including basketball and baseball scholarships to Duke, and he spoke with scouts of many major league clubs, working out in both Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park. Mm -hmm. Ultimately... Jimmy decided to sign with the Red Sox in defiance of his hometown. Wow. Quote, I had no intention of signing with the Yankees, Pearsall recalled. Waterbury is a Yankee city, but I was a Red Sox boy. I wouldn't have given my Yankee friends at home the satisfaction of signing with their team. What the fuck? <laughs> he's just bitter? <laughs> yeah, he's just like, fuck you guys. Yeah, fuck all you guys at home, all my friends and your Yankees friends. You know I like the Red Sox. Sox. He was being a, what's a, a contrarian. Yeah, he was a, a natural teenager. contrarian. Was, yeah. All right. In 1948, Pearsall began his pro career, playing at Scranton of the Eastern League. He posted up in center field as usual, hit sixth in the batting order, and hit 281 with 12 home runs in 141 games. Jimmy also led the league with 92 RBIs. The strong showing in his rookie campaign earned him a promotion in 1949 to the Red Sox top affiliate in the American Association. On October 22, 1949, he married Mary Teven, whom he had met and quickly fell in love with soon after arriving in Scranton the year before. The two began having children nearly annually. This new growing... Annually? Yes. How's that sound, Angela? <laughs> <laughs> what a year! <laughs> <laughs> <It's terrible. laughs> this new growing family 
piled more stress on Pearsall. Jimmy played two full seasons in Louisville, hitting 271 and 255, while honing his reputation as a star defensively. In late 1950, Pearsall got into six games with the Red Sox, getting two hits and seven at-bats. Mike Ryba, Jimmy's manager at both Scranton and Louisville, said, Pearsall is going to be a great center fielder one day. So he's got high praises. Hey, he's a super prospect. Yeah. The 40s. Yeah. Later in the year, Jimmy and his wife bought a new house in Waterbury. What should be remembered as a happy milestone for the young couple, the new house was later recalled by May as an early indicator for larger problems ahead. (laughs) Is there something wrong with this house? What's in this house? Uh, It's not really the house. (laughs) Mary bought new furnishings for the house. Jimmy's parents moved in as well. After only three days, Pearsall became so overwhelmed with doubts about his new situation that he demanded that everyone move out. Three days. So they moved in for three days, and then he's just said, "Get." It. He's like, "I don't. Uh, this yeah, is. Man. I don't like this. I don't like this. Get out. Right. Everybody out." Jimmy's parents went back to their old house. Mary and Jimmy moved in with her family in Scranton. The new house and all of the furnishings were sold. So, <laughs> Maybe he just didn't know his parents were moving in with him. Fuck this, we're selling the yeah. house. <laughs> uh, in uh, 1951, he made the Red Sox but did not play and asked to be sent back to Louisville. He hit 310 in 17 games, but a log jam in center field caused him to be demoted to Birmingham of the Southern Association, which was double uh, A. Yeah, that yeah. so he's being demoted, but he's th- he was still hitting 310. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Jimmy would respond with 15 home runs and a 346 average in 121 games, which was good for an all-star appearance. Birmingham swept Mobile and Little Rock to win the league title and then beat Texas League champion Houston in a six-game Dixie series. Pearsall was recalled by the Red Sox but didn't play. In early 1952, the Red Sox instituted a winter instructional school for youngsters. The school was run by manager Lou Boudreaux and his staff and was for 35 prospects. Pearsall arrived a month before spring training among them. Surprisingly, Boudreaux tried Jimmy at shortstop, and he, along with general manager Joe Cronin, a former all-star shortstop himself, were both excited by what they saw. Uh, Once regular spring training camp began, Pearsall played both infield and outfield positions. The switch to shortstop spurred a national story in early 1952. Pearsall was prophetically described in the papers as, quote, high-strung, spirited, voluble, and as someone who would press too hard. Nonetheless, Jimmy took his place at shortstop on opening day in Washington. Nice. So he made it to the show. Yeah. Yeah, but everybody's still just like, this guy's fucking weird. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to know what are the, some of the things that made people think he was weird? All right. Let's yeah. get into it. Nonetheless, Jimmy took his place at shortstop on opening day in Washington. He was a sensation with the fans. He clowned with them, made goofy gestures, ran in circles, imitated posing, opposing players, and he would take a bow after almost every catch. <laughs> Like, but after he threw the ball to first, I would hope. I would imagine, yeah. But maybe those are the ones that he didn't. Well, he was in center field. Well, no, I guess he, he was at shortstop, shortstop at this point. Yeah, You're right. He's right. Shortstop. They have yeah. a backlog in center field. So well, that's true. Spot for, him. Uh, for a while, most people laughed and were entertained. But on May 24th, the behavior became problematic. 
Pearsall screamed insults at Billy Martin until he was in a fight with the Yankee infielder. <laughs> so he's just yelling at Yes. You play for the Yankees and my friends like you. <laughs> yeah. And I don't. And I didn't want to sign with you. Ah, fuck yourself, Pearsall. Anyway. Uh, later the same day, he scuffled with teammate Mickey McDermott, who had teased him about the fight with Martin. Jimmy battled with umpires. He had three ejections early in the season. Uh, and he was benched. Uh, Vern Stevens' hot hitting kept Pearsall out of the lineup after the benching. Mm-hmm. Uh, this didn't stop his antics. Even <laughs> though he was benched. just bench. on the bench yelling yeah. shit. Yeah. <laughs> on June 5th, Pearsall was given a chance at center field again after making nine errors in 30 games at shortstop. Jeez. Yeah, so they're like, uh, okay, this experiment has failed. Uh, he responded by hitting 368 for the next nine days and played great defense in center. However, the clowning became more outrageous. He would phantom bunt attempts, letting opposing uh, infielders know his intentions. What? He would just, he would just I guess he would just go up and you know hold the bunt, being like, "I'm gonna bunt it." <laughs> oh, so the old the old fake fake where you're like, I'm gonna pretend to fake the bunt, but I'm yeah. really gonna bunt. Maybe that's what he was trying to do. Uh, he would stick out his thumb to hitch a ride if the bullpen cart passed by when he was standing in center field. <laughs> that's funny. That's, yeah. that's yeah. fucking funny. Yeah. No one can get mad about yeah. that. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was actually doing some of the research, and I was like, some of these just sound like he was a fun guy, and everybody was like, don't. Yeah, no maybe, fun. Maybe no a fun. little on the spectrum, and yeah. a little bit of fucking yeah. high strung. And <laughs> he laughed with fans. He made fun of his own mistakes and at those of others. In the ninth inning of a game against the St. Louis Browns, Jimmy imitated every move of Satchel Paige <laughs> until finally, finally flapping his arms like a chicken and squealing like a pig. Okay, and we also know that the Red Sox at this time were very racist. Yes. So that's probably that, that probably didn't help, and no. that, that's just... Uh. The Red Sox would rally for six runs, including a walk-off grand slam to beat the rattled Paige. So his antics worked anyway. Okay, so so yeah. I'm surprised they were that upset. Anyway, one time when returning to the dugout from right field, Pearsall ran directly behind center fielder Dom DiMaggio, imitating the gait and mannerisms of the revered Red Sox teammate. So he's just being a goof. Yeah, just goofy. Right. Most, if not all, of his teammates thought Jimmy was Bush and didn't want to play with him. Yeah, you kind of got to read the room sometimes when, yeah. you're, when yeah. you're at work. Yeah. Jimmy was benched again on June 15th, his manager Boudreau incorrectly claiming that, quote, he wasn't hitting. For Boudreau, this was a risky move since an earlier benching had moved Pearsall to tears. Well, like, I love that he just, like, double, he, like, trumps it. Just, no, nah, he's not hitting. No, he's in, like, 360 over the last, like, 10 games. <laughs> not nah, hitting. Not hitting. Not nah, hitting. That's not good enough. You know, Ted Williams hit 400, yeah. so, you know. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That probably helped. Yeah. You know? on, uh, on June 28th, Pearsall was demoted to Birmingham. Cronin, the general manager, defended the move, saying to the press, quote, I've never seen Lou so nervous. That's the manager. Yeah. After he sat shaking in my office for some time, he finally told me Pearsall had to go for the good of the club. Lou said time and time again he had begged Pearsall to behave himself, but he just got worse and worse every day. <laughs> Apparently, everyone on this club is against him. Uh, Jimmy's antics worsened in Birmingham. He stole the game ball from the mound on his way to the position in center field and refused to give it up. (laughs) 
Now he's just being yeah. an asshole. Yeah. He joined his manager in an argument with an umpire only to mimic, mimic the skipper's mannerisms. Now I'm convinced he just bought and sold that house as a joke. Yeah. <laughs> we're all moving in together. Yeah. No, we're not. <laughs> Psych. He sometimes would drop his bat in the batter's box to mock the pitcher. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Uh, Pearsall flew back to Boston on a three-day all-star break and begged Jim Cronin to be brought back to the Red Sox. All right. So now he's just, he just wants back in the majors. Yeah. Go back to Birmingham, behave yourself, and perhaps something will turn up later. That's what Cronin told him. So, you know, he's skilled enough that they're not cutting him loose anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Jimmy did not behave, however, and he was subject to six ejections and four suspensions. <laughs> oh, shit. He was once ejected for arguing balls and strikes. He then pulled out a water pistol and sprayed home plate. <laughs> saying, I wonder how real that pistol looked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, he's got a gun. <laughs> it was under third base. So, so now maybe you can see it, he told the umpire. <laughs> <laughs> see, now this is still... Yeah. That would be his fourth suspension, and he returned to Boston. Jesus. Cronin decided that Pearsall should be seen by a psychiatrist, but it took some convincing. Uh, Cronin spent most of July 18th driving around the city talking with Jimmy. The next day, Cronin drove Pearsall and his wife Mary to see a doctor. The doctor described the patient as, quote, very nervous, very tense, a very sick boy. Pearsall was advised to check into a private sanitarium for a prolonged rest. Cronin told the press, quote, I have this to say, and it's going to be brief. After consulting with and on the advice of doctors, Pearsall is to take a rest. The ball club is primarily interested in Jim Pearsall, not where, how, or what position he's going to play. I think you people will acquiesce that decision. Acquiesce. Acquiesce. Acquiesce yeah. in that decision. I I'm sorry, I can't <laughs> elaborate. What's that? <laughs> I might even be saying well, that. Anyway, that Just sounds better than what I said. <laughs> Pearsall checked into Bald Pate in Georgetown, Massachusetts after a couple escapes and at oh, least one violent es- uh, episode. He was just like, I was just joking around in the ballpark. Jesus, yeah. why am I in a mental <laughs> institution? <laughs> and at least one violent episode. Jimmy was moved to a state mental hospital in Danvers and then to a facility in Westboro, which was closer to his wife and children. His official diagnosis was manic depression, bipolar disorder, as it is known today. He was strapped to a bed and received electroshock therapy, which was commonly used in the 50s to reduce immediate systems, but at the risk of memory loss. At the end of his hospital stay in early September, Pearsall could not remember that he had made the Red Sox. Holy shit. I, I just like that it's, it sounds like one of those pill commercials. Just like, mm-hmm. this will solve all your problems. May cause memory loss. Total and complete memory. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, it's like, did... he's, we're making him better, but he doesn't remember who he mm-hmm. is. Yeah. I well, think that's better. Yeah. He made the Red Sox. Didn't remember he made the Red, Red Sox, let alone the events that led up to his hospitalization. Holy. Yeah. Pearsall was prescribed medication to stabilize his mood swings and control his condition and was still taking lithium 50 years later. Uh, The Red Sox rented a five-room house in in, uh, Sarasota for Pearsall and his family to spend the winter. Pearsall played golf, fished, and relaxed by the pool for four months. All right. You know, that's the, that's the Tom Yaki treatment that we were talking about in the Yaki episode. That is the Yaki episode. If he liked you... 
Yeah, he he did he did provide his players yeah. with things that he was they, also a dirty, dirty racist. <laughs> carrying on. Pierce will partially blame the breakdown on Boudreaux's decision to make him a shortstop. Well, that probably helped, but like at the same point, mm-hmm. you gotta like you gotta roll with it. Yes. In two thousand eight he told a reporter for the Birmingham News, Boudreaux was a jerk. I was an all star center fielder, but he wanted to make a shortstop out of me. His worst behavior actually began in June after the switch back to the outfield. It can be generally agreed upon, however, that Pearsall's condition was genetic and a breakdown was likely imminent anyways. Jimmy returned to spring camp in March of 1953 to open arms of teammates, opponents, umpires, and fans alike. He won the right field job and made good on the plaudits he was given in the past, making a series of game-saving catches. He made, a, he made a catch on May 9th that Phil Rizzuto called the greatest catch I've ever seen. Wow. Rizzuto. Yeah. The scooter. <laughs> a New York writer called him, quote, the greatest outfielder who ever lived. And to Casey Stengel, Jimmy was, quote, the best defensive right fielder in history. Holy shit. Yeah, Jeez. those are strong words. And I've never even heard of this guy. Yeah. 151 games in 1953, uh, batted 272, take your pill. Uh, three hours batting mainly second. <laughs> That's happened in multiple episodes. Yes, yes. On June 10th, uh, he went six for six against the Browns. He was the first Red Sox player to accomplish the feat. Holy shit. First, like, ever Red Sox to go yep. six for six. Yep. Nice. In 1953. In 1954, the Red Sox padded the bullpen fences with foam rubber for the first time to protect Jimmy's reckless play. <laughs> So you'd just be running full rip into the boards, and they were like, uh, "We should maybe we should put pad those up foam. there." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. On uh, May fourteenth, fifty-four, he was ejected and then fined for arguing a third strike call, his first since nineteen fifty-two. He made his first All-Star game in nineteen fifty-four. His success was partially due to his study of the game. He would keep notebooks filled with notes about pitchers, but also about opposing batters' tendencies as well. Ted Williams told writers that Pearsall was constantly picking his brain and asking questions about pitchers. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, it's, so it's not like, well, it also, it does sound like he, like, did get evened out. Like, whatever treatment they were giving him and, mm-hmm. like, the lithium, like, probably probably helped even even, even things out a little yeah. bit. And yeah. he became a little bit more focused and yeah. less uh, contrarian. Yeah. In 1955, he switched to center field full-time and played there for the next several years. He started the year terribly, but finished strongly at 283 with 13 home runs, 25 doubles, and 67 walks. Uh, he increased productivity again the next year, hitting 293 with a league-leading 40 doubles and 14 home runs, 87 RBIs, and he made his second All-Star game. That's pretty... 40 doubles is... Yeah. Is, that's... It's nothing to sneeze at. Nah, it's nothing to... I'm trying to think of, like, a, a player to, like, compare him to. Yeah. I don't know. Pollock a few years ago? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, work ethic garnered praise from the legendary Rogers Hornsby. Quote, Pearsall, in my opinion, is a throwback to the old-time ball player. He praised Jimmy's batting practice ritual of playing various depths to shag fly balls so that he could get used to different angles and approaches to the ball. Quote, how many around today are ambitious enough or smart enough to work that hard at their jobs? If there are any around, I haven't seen them. Uh, Pearsall had become a very busy man by 1957 and was making 22500 from the Red Sox. 
held down well-paying jobs in the offseason, and was in demand as a public speaker due to his talent and dramatic story. His, <laughs> yeah, his numbers began to decline that year, however, and but he did receive another type of honor that year. Gussie Moran, a tennis star known for her provocative outfits, named <laughs> Pearsall one of the 10 most handsome men in baseball, oh. telling Sport Magazine, quote, if I were an artist with a brush, this is the man I'd like to paint. And that's Gussie talking. That's Gussie Moran talking. <laughs> and if you don't know, <laughs> you no shouldn't idea. have to ask. I don't know. I have no idea who Gussie Moran is, but apparently that's a strong and accolade in 1957. Hot. She likes Pearsall. He's hot. She likes Jimmy. Jimmy had his worst season in 1958. He battled a rib cage injury after Tiger infielder Billy Martin <laughs> landed on Jimmy after a slide into second base. So Jimmy slid into second base. Billy Martin playing second. Yeah, so Billy Martin. And he dropped the people's elbow on him. Yeah, he fucking, and, we all know that was uh, accidentally yes, on purpose. Yes, that was six years. After. That was revenge six years in the making. Uh-huh. Uh, after the season, Pearsall was traded to Cleveland for Vic Wirtz and Gary Geiger. The deal stunned Pearsall, who had just started a business in Boston oh, and bought a new house. <laughs> <laughs> Not the house again. <laughs> yeah. Jimmy and Mary also now had six children with a seventh on the way. Well, it's not annual. Well, annual. Yeah, what year? What year? Are we we're in? talking fifty-eight, and they okay. started in fifty-one or fifty-two. Oh, so Jesus Christ! It is annual. You're right on track. <laughs> it's like you have one, and you're pregnant with the other. Yeah. <laughs> Although Jimmy had mostly behaved himself during the six years in Boston, his clowning around never stopped. He was an entertainer. His antics began to draw attention in Cleveland. He was subject of another three ejections in 1959. Uh, on May 3rd, he charged pitcher Pedro Ramos with his bat. Holy, all right. Yeah. I don't, I don't have really any information on the other two, but that one. That one. That was that, a significant one. Yeah, yeah, that one. They'll write about that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on May 30th, 1960, Jimmy argued balls and strikes while standing on second base. Umpire Cal Drummond tossed Pearsall, and after a heated chest-to-chest argument, Jimmy retreated to the dugout and threw every bat, ball, glove, and cap he could find out onto the field. He was fined $250. All right. In the second game of a doubleheader that day, <laughs> so they let him play. They let him play the second game. <laughs> Pearsall caught the final out in center field and then threw the ball into the White Sox famous electronic scoreboard, shattering several <laughs> balls. So he's letting it, he's now, no, uh, letting it loose. Well, now. game over. Fuck you guys. And then just pitches it up into the fucking, the oh. colorful thing. And uh, that, that's, yeah, so he's acting up again. That's not. Yeah, on June 19th, he again argued the zone after stroking a single to center. He continued to jaw at home, um, home plate umpire John Stevens, and of course, he was ejected. Yes. June 24th, five days later, was a big day. He threw two bats at opposing pitcher Jim <laughs> Coates oh as a retaliation gosh. to the ball thrown at Pearsall by Coates for timing the hurler's warm-up pitches. <laughs> I saw you on deck there, timing yeah. my pitches. How so did you time this one, yeah. bitch? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he just whips his bat at him. Yep. Wait, did you say twice? No, he just threw two bats. Oh, damn. <laughs> 
I think. So he was warming up on deck with two bats. I guess. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. I see. Okay. Right. He flung his glove in the air, showing his displeasure at a ball called to Mickey Mantle. Uh-huh. Showed an obscene gesture to an official scorer who ruled that Pearsall's bunt attempt was an error and not a base hit. <laughs> okay. The it's Indian, more ridiculous. Yes. The Indians sent him home and requested he seek psychiatric care. Okay. Jimmy denied he needed any help, but he saw a doctor and sent a telegram of apology to his teammates. After missing six games, he returned on July 4th. July 23rd, Pearsall was ejected for doing, quote, a war dance in center field in an attempt to distract Ted Williams. This would draw another $100 fine. <laughs> Wait, Jim- he's playing on Cleveland now, right? Yeah. <laughs> His old buddy Ted's at yeah. bat, and he's yeah. trying to distract him. Jimmy baited umpires again on the 25th at Fenway, and this was the last straw for Pearsall's old buddy Jim Cronin, who was now league president. Cronin summoned Jimmy and his wife, Mary, to his Boston office for a, quote, fatherly talk. Pearsall pledged to give up the antics. In and this case, does that mean he's going to beat him? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he did, but I wonder if he... Uh, anyway, never mind. Pearsall pledged to give up the antics and concentrate on baseball. The Indian players had met and conspired to kick Jimmy off the team, but softened their position with Jimmy's pledge. Despite the pledge... Jimmy returned, and the antics continued at least once more that year. Pearsall had already been ejected six times in 1960, but Jimmy wasn't done as he would earn his seventh ejection equal to Johnny Evers' 1914 record. By hiding behind the center field monuments in New York on July 28th, the game couldn't resume until Pearsall was coaxed out. Come on out, Jimmy. No, I'm staying in here, guys. Come on out, Jimmy. No, no, we can't play until you come out. I'm staying back in. You've been to Monuments Park, Angela. Or, like, you've seen it at least. Yeah. Uh, So that used to be on the field. Yes. That was like where? At old in Yankee in center no, field. Where on the, oh, it, in like center field. In the center field. <laughs> so like he was that, just hiding back he there. He was just hiding behind like like monuments, which oh is weird gosh. enough that they were on the field. But yeah, like, that's strange. One time in elementary school, there was like this kid that hid under the steps of the portable mm-hmm. and he refused to come out at the end of recess and we couldn't resume school until he came out from, and there was like teachers like trying to like drag it was the 90s they were like trying yeah, yeah, to drag him out that. from underneath the steps and he's like no no kicking at the teacher yeah. uh so jimmy just jimmy's just yeah i'm gonna play hide and seek with all of yankee stadium yes jimmy played one more year for cleveland in 1961 and hit a career high 322 that season, he was celebrated for an on-field in- incident that was pretty much out of his, his control. Pearsall and the Indians were playing in a 6-6 tie at Yankee Stadium. Seventh inning, two outs. Indians right-hander Bobby Locke pitched carefully to Mickey Mantle. Mantle draws a walk. Then it went down. <laughs> two young men came from out of the stands and headed straight for Jimmy Pearsall. What? I knew I was in trouble right away, Jimmy said. You crazy bastard, we're going to get you, you nut, the two attackers shouted. Jesus. Pearsall dropped the first man with a punch to the face and then landed a right hand on the second fellow. Uh, Quote, I hit that first guy good. My dad would have been proud of me. I finally won one. (laughs) My dad knew how to hit people. (laughs) (laughs) One of the men started to get up. Mickey Mantle left first base and raced toward the attackers. 
Okay. Dugouts emptied. Quote, Mantle really showed me something. He could have been hurt, but he wasn't worrying about his homers then. Did you see how my teammates rushed out too? I found out who my friends were. Jesus. Yeah. All right. So, like, this is real. This yeah. is, okay. Yes. I'm like, yes. I, I wasn't sure which way this was going. No, <laughs> no. Two guys jumped out of the crowd, jumped Pearsall. He knocked them both down, and then Mickey Mantle ran from first base to help out his, yeah, all his right. opponent. All right. And Mantle said this. Sure, I was going to help him. Those people have no business out there. <laughs> okay. That's it. It's the he's code, probably, yeah, he's, he's probably he's drunk. Right. He's probably drunk. Yeah, man. A bit. Oh, Wait. fucking right. A bar fight on the field. Wait, yours is 60 or 61? 61. Oh, okay. All right. So, yeah, that's a big. So, one, 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 he's talking about like his home runs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Both attackers were arrested, and Pearsall received nothing but sympathy for the in- incident. Cleveland traded Pearsall to Washington for three players before the start of the 1962 campaign. Well, how? Well, I mean, like, yeah, obviously he'd done other things. I'm like, but that wasn't his fault. No, I'm not saying that that's related. No, just, uh, okay, all right. All right. Just, they just, just happened to trade they him. They were tired of him already. Yeah. Though. Jimmy okay. loved his time in Cleveland, but was not happy with the Senators, and his performance on the field reflected that. Uh, Jimmy was traded to the Mets for Gil Hodges partway through the 63 season and spent only 40 games in Queens. Hodges, I should mention, it's not really that relevant, but Hodges got traded to the Mets and, uh, or sorry, got traded from From the Mets Mets. and then became the manager or something or became the manager later on. I don't know. Anyway. That's that was written down. I didn't. I shouldn't really have mentioned it because I clearly didn't Gil make Hodges good enough notes. Gil Hodges, everyone. <laughs> okay, spent forty games in Queens. He did, however, hit his most memorable memorable home run on June twenty third at the Polo Grounds. Nice. It was his one hundredth home run. It came off a pitch by Philly's great Dallas Green, and in typical Jimmy Pearsall fashion, he celebrated the milestone by running the bases backwards. <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> no, he like ran the correct direction, but he Just was like running, running backwards. backwards. Oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. like he didn't go third, Third's second, <laughs> first. But see, this is ridiculous. That like imagine, see, but the fact that you that went I, there I just shows just, you how crazy Jimmy no, Pearsall was. Well, I, how much of a jester he was. Like, but like that game probably wasn't televised. Like, there's probably like even like a photograph wouldn't. It would just look like he was running the bases. Like mm-hmm. uh, that. Or, well, no, because he'd be back. Anyways, but just imagine if somebody did that nowadays. It was just like hell's yeah, like just moonwalk, moonwalk the whole way. Yeah. <laughs> He would be met at home plate by Brian McCann. Well, but no, I'm surprised that there was not more fight. Like, obviously, Billy Martin and him had a had a thing, but I'm surprised more people. Like, you think more people were just like, "Well, that's just Jimmy. Like, yeah. he's fucking nuts." Yeah. Like, <laughs> probably. Yeah. On July 27th, he was released and picked up by the Los Angeles Angels. Jimmy spent the next five seasons with the Angels, playing partially. He missed the final month of '63 with a hamstring injury. Spent 64 as the fourth outfielder and got into 87 games. He played two more seasons as a reserve player and closed his career with four hitless plate appearances in 1967. I am surprised how much long of a career this guy had. <laughs> 17 years, man. Yeah. yeah. After his retirement from playing ball, Pearsall enjoyed four years in California taking acting classes and landing roles in commercials and TV shows. He appeared opposite Lucille Ball, Milton Berle, and Don Rickles on their programs. 
and hosted the Jimmy Pearsall Show on KABC six nights a week during the offseason. All right. I know what I'm doing on YouTube later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he then moved on to a more nomadic life after baseball, spending two years as general manager of the Roanoke Buckskins, a minor league football team. He wasn't allowed to play. (laughs) He managed a hotel. In 1972, he handled group sales for the Oakland A's and was often screamed at by owner Charles Finley. Jimmy quit after a year and spent several weeks in a hospital for nervous exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He managed the Orangeburg Cardinals in the West uh, Carolinas League the next year. And who was on that team during his short baseball career? Randy Poffo, who went on to become first name Macho, last name Man on Read Him On My Boots, Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, Oh, yeah. All right. I knew you were going to work wrestling into one of these podcasts. And there it is. And then two years coaching and selling tickets for the Texas Rangers. Yeah. By the way, there will will definitely be an episode in the future on Charles Finley. On Charles, yes. Yes. <laughs> Jimmy and Mary divorced in 1968, and Pearsall rarely lived near his children again. Uh, he married again to a Roanoke woman, but they divorced during his years with the Rangers. Uh, he began a long broadcasting career alongside Harry Carey in 1977. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not fucking kidding, right. Sean. And I gather in Chicago. Yes, a popular pairing despite Jimmy continuously getting in hot water for his criticism of White Sox players and his off-color commentary. <laughs> I love that he, he just jumped. He was on the Cubs train. Just yeah. <laughs> fucking White Sox yeah. suck, eh? Owner Bill Veek's wife, Mary, disliked some of Jimmy's comments, and Pearsall responded saying, quote, Mrs. Veek is a colossal bore. She ought to stay in the kitchen where she belongs. <laughs> this is right in the middle of like the women's movement as well yes. in the in the 60s and 70s. Stop wagging your tail on the mics. God damn it. All right. You're the You're worst the studio dog ever. Okay. Uh, the Sun-Times ran a poll about whether he should lose his job. <laughs> and uh, people said he shouldn't. That is that how they did? It yeah. sounds like how they decided things in Chicago yeah, in like so, the 70s and so, 80s. So Bill, yeah, newspaper poll. <laughs> so Bill Veek did nothing because of Pearsall's popularity. Uh, he became a part-time outfield coach with the White Sox. But Tony LaRusa... After, after bashing them? Yes, yes. <laughs> Hold on. But Tony LaRusa and players forced his dismissal in 1980 because of the way he was describing their play during games. <laughs> <laughs> so like, hey, buddy, like, hey, we don't like the way you're talking about us on the broadcast, so no, maybe you just... You're, you're coming in here and you're coaching during the day and then you do white... Or well, I'm just games. trying to coach from the broadcast booth, you know? <laughs> Soon after, Pearsall attacked writer Bob Gallus, grabbing him by the throat, apparently because he was asking players questions about him. <laughs> yes, he later scuffled with Mike Veek, Bill's son, in the broadcast booth. Bill Veek encouraged Jimmy to visit a psychiatrist again, and he did, but received a clean bill of health and held his job. Well, everything's fine. Everything's fine, apparently. A couple of years later, he appeared on Mike uh, Royko's radio show and referred to players' wives as, quote, horny broads. The classic horny broads. How do you describe uh, other people's wives? uh, They're horny broads who wanted security and money from big, strong ballplayers. 
All right. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, once again, playing the a uh, little bit of a bit of misogyny. Well, he's he's a fucking troll before. Like he was he was trolling baseball. And yeah, now but, he's just yeah, but now he's just women. getting old just, and being a dick. Yeah, where have we seen that before? Internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he continued to work games through 1982 before his constant team bashing caused him to be let go by new ownership. He married his third wife Jan in 1982. She's not really that important to this story, but that's in there. This is a horny brat. Yeah. <laughs> Married him. Yeah. Wanted him for his protection because he was a big, strong ball player. He was player. a big, strong ball yeah. player. He began a long-running drive-time talk show in Chicago in 1985. He supplemented his endeavor with a job as hitting instructor for the Cubs. Just keeps getting not chances, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Just keeps yeah, getting just, chances. Yes. Yeah. Pearsall loved baseball, loved to fish, and loved to talk. He was still doing public appearances and radio shows in Chicago well into his 80s. In 1955, Pearsall's autobiography first appeared in the Saturday Evening Post. Penned with the help of sports writer Al Hirschberg, Fear Strikes Out received much praise as it was a startlingly honest book, which eventually was twice made into a movie, once in 1955 for TV and in 1957 as a cinematic release starring Anthony Perkins. What? Yeah. It's like a famous baseball movie that, like, I've I've never What's seen it, it. Fear Strikes Out. Wow. Yeah, I've I have it downloaded and I've been meaning to watch it. All right. But uh, yeah, I was gonna watch it as like research for this, but my time ran out. I didn't yeah, have well, time to well, do what it. What were you but, doing uh, last night? Jesus fuck. Sorry. Well, anyway, <laughs> quote. Chill. Here, here's a somewhat like redeeming quote from him, despite his like dickish misogyny shit but anyway yeah. quote i was aware that many others had been afflicted like i was he said at the time or were even now experiencing the same mental sickness and i felt if they learned how i had conquered mine they would become enheartened in their own efforts at rehabilitation he died june 3rd 2017 at the age of 87 he made it a lot farther than I thought at the beginning yes. of this story. Pearsall often said that his breakdown was the best thing to ever happen to him. It made him famous, but it also led to his treatment and six more decades of a remarkable life. I'll say. Yeah, so. Fear strikes out. Fear strikes out. That's Jimmy Pearsall. Yeah. I, bet, I bet that movie makes him look a lot better than that story <laughs> yeah apparently he well, he didn't like the portrayal of his dad in it apparently apparently he was too hard on him maybe he was just scared maybe well <laughs> maybe <laughs> i'm gonna die soon yeah. and that man's gonna be waiting with me with the belt. yeah yeah he's gonna be up there or down there <laughs> well uh, i mean it's that's uh that's that's fucked up like, i i mean i it sounds like like he was just a, he was like an embodiment of like what we'd call like a troll like he and at the same point like it some of it wasn't his fault. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a very yeah it sounds it sounds like a lot of his antics and his like jokingly class clown kind of demeanor got roped in with what was real serious, serious mental illness yeah. with him or whatever. But yeah, uh, wow. yeah. Well, that was fucking. Yeah. That was a that was a good ride. Yeah, yeah. Angela, thoughts? thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thank you. I won't tell you what a great story. Was. Yeah. <laughs> Last time I was like, that was a great story. Hey, eh? bye. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a monster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just feel like he's one of those people who just takes a joke too far. You know, like you're told. 
Well, he okay, kept, like, get, kept no. getting chances. No, I know, I know. But it's like he just is like, I'll just try it again. I'll see how it goes. And then he just keeps getting another chance. It's like, well, what's the point of stopping if he's like going to keep... I mean, there like, was nothing like, has stopped him. He just well, kept he, getting chances. But he was sent to like a, a facility <laughs> too. No, I know, I know. It I was know. like a roller coaster ride. Yes, it was a roller coaster. That's for sure. Well, thanks for thanks yeah, for joining us. Uh, yeah, thank so, you for having uh, me. Yeah, thanks for coming. And, yeah, this time uh, you didn't know the story. Yeah. No, I didn't know the That's story true. this time. So uh, follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball and on Instagram uh, at Doing Underscore Baseball. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, thanks Theo for the new artwork. Hundred uh, percent, it looks amazing. We're we're basically doing this every other Wednesday, so uh, I mean we don't want to stick to that schedule, but we've been sticking to that schedule. Mm-hmm. So uh, check us out every other Wednesday mm-hmm. uh, on Spotify or on Apple. Apple Podcast. Please leave us a review or a rating or anything like that. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this. Uh, this is a little baseball history with uh, me, Sean, and, and I'm Ed. We were doing baseball. Okay, bye. Yeah.